Hey, mental workers, you're listening to the Mental Work Podcast, your companion to early career psychology. I'm your host, Dr. Bruno Milkins, and today we are joined by special guest, Matthew Jackson. Hi, Matthew. Hi. It's so lovely to have you back. Listeners, Matthew's been on a few episodes now and he has just been fantastic. Matthew, could you just please remind listeners who you are and what your non-psychology passion is? So my name is Matthew. I am a registered general psychologist and my non-psychology passion is plants as well as horror films. I love anything nitty gritty scary. What's your favorite plant? It is any type of Hoya. Um, If anybody knows what Hoyas look like, specifically also, yeah, I would say this, the Crimson Queen. Um, I'm sure I can get one off my my shelf later, take a photo. We can can put it online or something. I'll put it on the socials. (laughs) I love the name Crimson Queen. Like even the name would make me be like, you're my favorite plant. Right. And there's also Crimson Princess. And the way to tell them differently is that the queen has this white kind of veil on the outside, like a crown. And the princess has this white strip down the middle, kind of like a a gown, like a princess would wear. It's really interesting. That is a dope plant. That sounds amazing. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Matthew, for coming back on the podcast. It's a delight to have you on. And today I'm especially excited. I know I say it every episode, but but I think I'm just always excited for every episode. But today I wanted to talk with listeners about how to process sessions. And the reason why I wanted to was because I hear people or just on socials be like, look, you really need to process sessions. And I think I automatically feel annoyed because I'm like, well, how, how do I process? How do I really process sessions if it's really heavy stuff? And how do I feel okay with that? And so I wanted to unpack that a bit today, and and I think we're going to go through why it's important to process sessions, a few strategies that you can use to process sessions, our experiences and how we've processed sessions. So let's start off by talking about why it's important to process what we hear from clients. What do you think? I think it's important to process what we hear from clients and also what we see as well within sessions, because if we don't, we might hold on to it. And in holding on to it, that impacts us, could even impact the way that we are in that session or the next session with the client. And I think overall leads to burnout. Yeah, I agree. Like I was reading a statistic the other day that within the first five years of being a therapist, a psychologist, like 60% of therapists will say that they're burnt out, which I think is an underestimate. <laughs> yeah. But but there's a lot yeah. of therapists who leave the profession in the first five years because they're burnt out or they get compassion fatigue, it's just too much, or they get vicarious trauma. So it's they themselves from hearing trauma then start to have symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, which is nuts. It, it really is. And if you think about it, it's kind of like an everyday thing that we just experience as psychologists. We sit down in a session with somebody and they disclose something that's occurred to them recently or in the past. And it's, I don't know what it's like for you, but for me, it's like, oh, okay, we're going to go there. Okay. Yeah, no, it's it's like that now. When I first started, I literally remember the first ever session I did with a client and they shared something like, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I felt myself tear up. And I remember by the standards now, I would be like, no, I wouldn't tear up over that. But for me, initially starting out, everything was overwhelming to hear. I was like, oh, that's so sad. Oh, that's so terrible. So tragic. And I would feel myself wanting to cry like all the time. Oh, same. I think last year I probably did cry once or twice because of disclosure of traumas or really horrible experiences in session. Even, as I said earlier, things that I've seen, I think back to a session in the past where somebody had written something really unfortunate uh, and kind of etched it into their skin. And I remember thinking, I, I'm actually not okay. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't want to see that and I'm not okay and I'm going to hold on to that for probably a long time so that vicarious trauma is so real for us as psychologists 
It is really weird. Like when I think of that and I hear that, I'm like, wow, that's big. You know, that's massive. Like seeing somebody hurt themselves and then that having quite a huge effect on you, like understandably so. Completely. And I think even though I was exploring my responses to that in supervision, it definitely changed the way that I responded to like risk or trauma for probably a good year or two straight. Wow. So I guess like, you know, when we think of the experiences that we hear in therapy, we're talking about the whole range of human experience. Like before I became a psychologist, I was I was aware that people experience hardship, but I wonder if this has happened for you. Like are there things that your clients experience and you're like, wow, like I had never thought that that would be a thing that someone would experience. And you're like, oh, I've unlocked new, new ways to feel bad, like in oneself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think back specifically to a session last year where a client disclosed something to me. And my first thought was, this is a horror film. Yeah. There's, there's no way that this can be real. And that response is not questioning them. It's questioning how could somebody do that, you know? Yeah. And that real life uh, sort of response of, wait, wait, hang on a sec. I don't know how you're coping with this because it's been five seconds since you've told me and I'm not coping. What did you just say? <laughs> what yeah. happened? Yeah. So the stuff that we hear, we can hold on to it as well. And I think you know, from my trauma training, one of the things that I know about trauma is that sometimes things become traumatic because they violate our expectations of how the world is supposed to be and how other people are supposed to be. So if you perceive the world as safe and then, and that somebody will protect you, and then an incident happens where that doesn't happen, it can be like, wow, how am I supposed to integrate this new apparent understanding of the world where it's unsafe and people won't help me? And I feel like when we hear stuff from clients, we can also come into that space and we can be like, wow, that really violates how I expect the world to be. Completely. And I think going off of what you've just said probably contributes to why sometimes I myself, speaking from my own responses, feel somewhat lost when somebody does disclose something that is quite traumatic or just very difficult to hear. Sometimes I think, oh, um, that wasn't in a textbook. Uh, how am I meant to respond to that? Because I don't even know how I feel right now. And so I I'm, guess I'm wondering, like, have there been things that you've heard from clients where you've noticed changes in yourself? Like I'm thinking for me, there may have been things that I've heard from clients and then one of the things I've noticed in myself is that I might think about it a lot outside of sessions and I know I'm holding on to it. Have you experienced similar or different? All the time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I laugh because it's my normal. Yeah. And, um, maybe that's slightly awkward and uncomfortable. I notice I'm, I'm trying to not look at you right now. So I'm going to say, yes, that must be uncomfortable for me. <laughs> um, let's explore that. So <laughs> I would say, yes, it is a common occurrence for me in sessions to experience something that has taken my breath away or was really difficult, was traumatizing was maybe even distressing to hear or see and I don't know how as psychologists we do this (laughs) without ways of coping of course yeah I don't know how else we're able to kind of sit in that moment with that person and what they're experiencing but also our own our own emotions our own thoughts our own responses Um, our own, oh, I've forgotten the word, but wanting to kind of leap in there and go, can I hug you? <laughs> oh, yes, the urges. Yeah, like yes. I've, ex- I've experienced that urge many a time where I've been like, gosh, I wish I could just hug this person and take their pain away and just give them some comfort. Yes, like mm. I don't want to be the saviour, but kind of want to save you. Kind of do, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So there's there's a lot of like human urges that come into our interactions with clients when we sit with a vulnerable space and we hear their pain and it might even be reminding us of some of our own pain. So I guess like no human is free from pain or painful experiences. So like something that our clients may have experienced may activate something in us. And it's like, Oh crap, that's really like touching home for me. Completely. I have that 
quite often when I work with clients who are queer or queer space and maybe disclose bullying or how their families respond to them. And I notice typically my first thought is, oh, yeah, been there. Yeah. And there is that sense of I, I connect with you on this, I really empathize with you. And at the same time, now, how do I hold this space for you and also hold that space for little Matt, who's, you know, kind of barking at the door now saying that also happened to us. And have we really processed that? Yeah, 100%. And and that's why this episode is so important as well, because we need to take care of little Matt. Because if we don't take care of little Matt, little Matt would be knocking at the door being like, hey, I'm over here. Like, don't forget me. <laughs> like waving his arms around. Um <laughs> And she'll be like, no, I'll just shove you aside. But we need to actually take care of our little selves and be like, you know, we need to do that to take take care. Otherwise, we can have these symptoms of vicarious trauma, which might be repetitively thinking about what the client has said. Nightmares. You might notice yourself become more irritable. You might be more anxious, like before or during or after you see the client. You could have sleep difficulties and so on and so on. So... I think we're both on the same page that like we hear a lot of heavy stuff and it's important to make sure that we we sort out that stuff so we can take care of ourselves. Yes, the the onus is on us to process what we hear and also to protect ourselves at the same time. 100%. So let's get a, a quickie definition of processed and I've taken this directly from my EMDR training. It's Because it's, when I was doing my trauma training, I kept on being like, like, okay, we're processing, we're processing, we're processing. And I was like, what does process mean? <laughs> so I had to like really sort it out in my own mind. So here it is. Something is processed when you can recall it and it feels like something in the past. So it doesn't feel like it's happening right now. You can be like, this is happening now, that happened then. So it can feel like it's in the past. Okay, second thing, when you recall the event or you're reminded of it, you no longer experience significant emotional distress. So it may be like a 10 out of 10 when you first thought about what the client had shared with you. But now when you think back on it, it's like a one out of 10. It's like, okay, that happened. It's there. We're not trying to erase that it happened, but you feel less distress. And then the third thing is that when you recall what your client has told you, you can hold what's called an adaptive perspective. So you can integrate that with your current knowledge about the world. So it might be like, that happened to that client, it challenges me because I thought the world was a safe place where good things happen to good things and I don't like that bad things happen to good people. The adaptive perspective may be like, but sometimes the world doesn't work out well for good people, but I know that I can be kind to this person in front of me and I know that there are lots of people in the world who are kind. Yes, I think all three of those parts are completely relevant, especially being able to think about a previous session or a previous client who has brought up something that's quite traumatic or distressing. And when you think of it again, there is that one or two out of 10 on your own sort of suds or distress level. Yeah, totally. It, it, yeah, it doesn't bring back yep, nightmares or wanting to shake or, or even wanting to call them and be like, hey, are you okay right now? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I can give listeners a real example as well. So like, I, I'm, and I mean, yeah, I have processed this. So it's like a few years ago, um, when I was working at a private hospital, one of our patients suicided. And at the time, absolutely devastating for months after still devastating, completely beating myself up. But now when I look at it, I know that, okay, I now know better the signs that someone is contemplating suicide, but I know that I can check in on them, but it's very hard to prevent that suicide. Um, I could have done everything I could in that circumstance and they still would have suicided. And that's a tragedy. We should do better. Um, But that is not something that I'm holding on with me going forward. And so when I think about it, I'm probably like zero to one, like suds right now. And I can hold that adaptive perspective. And I know that it's in the past. I really appreciate you sharing that, really communicating there, that ability to let go, being able to observe, this is something that's happened. I've, I've learned these things from it. And it really, really impacted me and, and colleagues for months. Yep. And 
I needed to learn to let it go that it, yeah. it's not my thing to take on that was mm. theirs I have to let that go absolutely yeah so it's like better equipped now to work with suicide but now know that suicide sometimes like no matter what I did professionally that it was it was not going to prevent that suicide unfortunately in that specific instance it doesn't mean that all suicides are not preventable but in that specific instance it it was very hard completely and I I too have been in your position I have unfortunately lost a client and it was something early on in my career probably first four to six months where I had to really sit down with myself and say this is probably going to happen like more than likely I will lose a client in my career so how do I want to feel about myself how am I going to cope how do I want to feel about the profession when this occurs what is my you know safety net what what am I falling back on here so I really appreciate you opening up that conversation there in regards to losing somebody who we work with like I feel like we kind of shy away from that in psychology a yeah, little well, bit. I think and, and likewise thank you for sharing because I I did want to open that up because I think it highlights the the gravity of what we what we can deal with as psychologists and it's like yeah the the death of someone we work with is massive and it really highlights that we do often need quite substantial support to process um, what has happened. And I know that I did. I required a lot of support with processing um, the loss of that patient. Trauma. Yeah, trauma. trauma. <laughs> Hashtag trauma. Yeah. It's all trauma. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So let's turn to how can we process sessions and the things that clients tell us. We've got one, two, three. Four, five, six, seven. We've got seven things, and then we might riff off of those. But look, the first thing that I wanted to talk about was that a lot of us might automatically turn to our partner, friends, or family, or all three, because we're so used to telling those important people in our lives about everything that we're going through and getting emotional and practical support that way. But in the case of being a therapist, we can't do that because our code of ethics says that we can't share client confidential material so how do you how do you deal with that I've found my own way to still get that need met and continue to be in line with the code of ethics yeah. so what I mean by that is I still do lean on my mum my partner my friends for support even even when it's within the context of a rough day at work I do however and I set this up from like week one of my internship all those years ago um that i can't tell you anything <laughs> yep <laughs> so just straight up directly right D yep. don't ask me my answer is gonna be can't talk about it straight yep. there's the boundary i'm cutting you off um but over the years it's quite obvious for people who are personal to us parents partners to see that something's really not okay yes it is hard to not say, oh, my gosh, well, you know, Mary said this or, you know, Joe Black said this. It's really hard not to be able to do that. There are ways that we can. We can say, like, I had a rough day at work. A lot of sadness came up. We can talk about our own experiences. And so I find that that's what I do with family, friends, my partner. I talk about my experience too the environment rather than I talk about the environment itself. Perfect. Yes. I was hoping that you would touch on that. So I'm so glad you did as well, because I do the same thing. I might say something like, I'm feeling really tired. I had to give a lot of myself today. Completely. Boom. I say, I say to my partner all the time, my battery is probably at like a two or three out of 10. <laughs> yeah. I just need a little bit of me space for today. Just a little bit yeah, I, I do the same thing. I'm like, I just need to scroll on this for 20 minutes. I'll, I'll come back to you. So just like, you know, it's kind of like leave a message at the beep um, and Brennan is not here right now. That's kind of brilliant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you can definitely talk about your own emotional experience. And I think it's really important, like, because our partners might be really confused by our behavior and be like, why the hell are they doing that? And and they might not understand the emotional gravity unless they're a therapist themselves of of the work that we do. Um, so I feel like giving them that emotional insight can be really helpful. Completely. And I guess 
I like to think of it as well as kind of like a teaching lesson. Yep. <laughs> so I pop my psych hat on for a brief moment and I think of it as like a teaching session that this person gets to understand now that this is the boundary, right? And that there are implications for me going over that boundary and disclosing information that's not okay for me to, to disclose. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then I wanted to ask this as well, but okay, so I most frequently encounter this at the hairdresser actually, because the hairdresser will ask me what I do inevitably. And then the most common thing I hear is like, that must be really hard. Like, how do you cope with that? So they actually ask me. <laughs> um, and sometimes they ask me questions about specific presentations and stuff. But anyway, how do you re respond when uh, partners, friends, family, hairdressers, a uh, person on the street asks you about sessions? I usually try and generalize it. Yeah, so me I'll, too. Yeah. Right. So I'll talk about maybe presentations I see or the therapy that I that I give that I do the most. Um, maybe I'll talk about uh, I I recently moved into a leadership role. So maybe I'll I'll kind of change the topic a little bit and yeah. talk about that a little bit more um, as a way to kind of shape them out of asking me questions <laughs> that it's very, very specific. Yes. Yes. No, I do the same thing. Like with the hairdresser, I might say, if they ask me about what kinds of clients I see, I'll be like, oh, like I see people who experience depression, anxiety, yeah. trauma. And so I'll be very general. And they, they might say things like, oh, but you know, do clients see you for years? And then I'll give like a general answer. Yeah. Um, and then I'll say like, you know, people come to see me for all sorts of life changes. And yeah, I guess I say people rather than like, Mary came to see me last week for this. I love it. Mary seeing both of us. We've got yeah, I know. Yeah, happen. dual relationship there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we've encountered an ethical issue. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it does. Um, I, I noticed myself, like I used to feel more anxious about this in the past. Um yeah, but like now that I've got some stock standard phrases and ways of like deflecting and, and not going into specific details, I find that most people just ask because they because they don't know about psychology or therapy. So they just they just want to understand a little bit better. They're not actually interested in Mary. Um, sorry, Mary. Um, but they just want to know a bit about the, the process and like what therapy is. Yes. Sorry, Mary. But I also <laughs> agree with you. <laughs> yeah. I think that's I think that that's something that we can connect with with our family and friends is that yeah. we too, before we joined the, you know, the cult of psychology, we too were really kind of interested in like, so what is psych and how do people work? Of course, people who don't work in this field are also really interested in understanding what is psychology and how do people work? And so I, I kind of sit with it in my mind of this is normal questioning they don't understand ethics. They don't have the access to documents that we have access to. So yeah. I'm, I'm just going to see this as a teaching moment and be able to kind of redirect that person and make it very general. I liked where you were going with it because I was thinking in my mind, like the people who ask us questions, they're not trying to trip us up and be like, ha, gotcha, I'm going to report you, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, so I think there's only been like one instance, like in the past few years where someone has asked me a specific question about a client and then I've needed to be like, oh, like, oh, you might not know, but like psychologists, we actually have really strict, like. Um, necessary provisions around what we can share with clients and they'll be like oh like I didn't know that and I'll be like yeah like we can't actually share that information so it's part of the privacy act and just part of our confidentiality and and ethics um protecting health information and they're like oh okay and it was no biggie I love that I too have had a instance where somebody asked me um what's the craziest thing that a client has ever said to oh me yeah and I was like oh that's a problem yeah <laughs> but many many reasons many reasons that question yeah um, but relating to this context I simply just put it as I've said to you in the past I can't say those things so instead I'm gonna move the conversation along and I I did get the response of like I'm not gonna tell anybody I don't know who you're talking about yeah right and my response to that was well, imagine if you were my client and then I went around telling people, oh, Joe, blah, blah, blah. How would you feel if yeah, you found out that I was talking about you? Yeah, you wouldn't public? like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That I think that person understood from then on. I never got another question. Yeah, great. Awesome. Nice nice handling. Well done. Um, is there anything else you wanted to say on that that like interlude of um, talking to friends and family? Last thing I would say is that it's okay to put like a stop sign in between mm. you and that person and just to orient them to exactly what you were saying earlier, to orient them to, hey, there's such thing as the Privacy Act. Hey, I have a really strict set of rules called the Code of Ethics. It's for your protection as well as mine, but mainly for your protection. So here's my stop sign. I would like for you to understand that's my boundary. And next time we're not going to cross that. I just want people to understand it's okay to put that stop sign boundary there. Thank you. No, I think that's really important because sometimes I think uh, we can feel really bad about it, but I really like what you're saying because it's like you don't need to feel bad about it. It's just you just need to tell them directly how it is and and it's okay to put in those boundaries completely whether that person likes that response or not it's our job not yeah. to disclose that information <laughs> yes 100 percent. and thankfully there are other ways that we can process sessions as well so we've got we've got a few other ways so are we ready to go on to these ways okay i'm really excited so i'm going to take a deep breath and contain myself please start us off okay I'm going to pick one out of order because we've got them written down here. I'm going to pick one out of order. How do you feel about that? I'm so excited. I don't know (laughs) if it's just me like shifting around in my chair. I'm like, come on. Okay. Okay. Let's do creative outlets for processing sessions because I feel like, I feel like you'd be good at this. Oh, my favorite. Don't even get me started. Actually. Okay. (laughs) Please get me started. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us how creative outlets can help you process uh, sessions. I have a lot of creative outlets that I use as ways to process sessions or difficult moments with clients. So just as an example, something that I do is I write music. And what I'll do is that if it's a really difficult session or a difficult response that I'm having towards a client, I'll actually write a song about them. Wow. Yeah. I have a confidential, it is a password protective file in my phone. And it has some music in there that I've recorded just on my phone there um, about a, perhaps a person or, or a session or something that popped up within me from that particular session or client. And I've created a song about it. And in doing so, I get to process that emotion. I get to write it down. And as I sing it or read it back, I, I'm kind of reflecting back, oh, that's how I feel about them. And am I okay with that? So... I do it through song or even I do creative writing. So at the moment I've got three different TV shows and two horror films and I've written um, clients into it. Obviously I've changed their name. I've changed every little detail. Nobody try to report me. Um, I've changed every little detail. Uh, uh, I've even written some of perhaps the storylines take a little flare out of perhaps a session that I was really struggling with and holding on to. And I explore that in the writing of that character. And I think to myself, okay, how is this character going to take the journey? What are they going to feel about themselves? How are they going to become the hero now and not the villain? Right. And so I'm kind of changing like this narrative for the client, but in my head, the client doesn't need to know about it. It's my own processing. Wow. Um, otherwise, I do like a, like drama therapy. I love it. So um, I will, doing drag, I have a lot of costumes. So sometimes I'll even act the client out to myself. So I'll put on a costume and I'll kind of become the client and trying to put myself in their shoes of like, whoa, this is how difficult this was. This is what uh, this might have felt like to disclose this piece of information. How now do I want to sit with this person? If I'm, if I'm this person, if I'm this character, how do I want to process this now going forward? So that's just three of my creative ways. I think that's amazing. I look forward to your workshop in the future on how to process sessions with using creative outlets, which I will be attending and buy other tickets for. So we'll have a one-on-one session. (laughs) Okay, good, because I wasn't planning on giving you mate traits anyway. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Damn it. Oh, I love that. I think that's amazing. I love, I love all of that. I love that you use drama, music, costume. It's, it's wonderful. 
Maybe, could you tell us any other ways that you process sessions? Like we've got, okay, so we've got other ones, which is supervision, journaling, mindfulness, continuing education, personal therapy. Like, do you, do you do any of these ones? All of them. Okay, every, cool. Every single one. <laughs> okay. So, uh, of course, I think we all know just how important supervision is. And if you haven't found that yet, um, I, I hope that you do find that ASAP. Supervision is so important. Like even just thinking about the idea of having a safe space where you can come to it and say, just had this session, this client said this, I'm really not okay. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm not doing well and I don't know what to do now because I have to see them next week. What do I do? Just having that experience of the safe that safe place, being able to be validated, even even hearing from a supervisor, yes, I've had those experiences before too, that normalization process, I find very, very validating for me in building that like support network, but also in being able to see like, oh, so this is normal. I'm having a very normal response to what I've just heard, to what I've just experienced. Yeah. I, I love that. That works really well for me because because wow. of the expectations I place on myself, it's usually like I should know this. So when I don't know something and I bring it to supervision and the supervisor is like, no, you, you don't have to know that. That was a tricky situation. I'm immediately like, oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. Can I record that <laughs> so I can play it back to myself? Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I find that having a supportive supervisor like you is really essential. Some of the early supervisors I had, we just didn't click as well. And it wasn't until I got supervisors who who I instantly clicked with and who we understood that I was like, ah, oh, this is what supervision is supposed to feel like. This This really validating space where I can be like, vulnerable and be like I don't know this can you help me um or can we practice this or I feel really shit about this and having that guidance support validation normalization it's really good a hundred percent and I really like something you said there I actually want to kind of journal on that a little bit I really like what you mentioned there around in a supervision session kind of recording something actually that was just said and playing it back to yourself I guess I can't help but think of times when that actually would have been really helpful for me when that perfectionism's popped up and is going, nope, you failed or anything like that. What a great way to kind of play out that supervision session for yourself. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it's what, um, I do it for clients occasionally as well. I'll record, I'll get them to pull up like the Apple notes on their phone or just like the audio on Android or whatever. And I'll record something into their, like the reparenting message. And even just like, if they never listen to it again outside of session, even just me saying it into the phone in session can be really powerful for them. So yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Would recommend. I like that. And speaking on that kind of like building that community being able to Mm. build that support network that you're talking about, I really like, like not even just supervision, but if you're a part of like case consultations or like group super supervisions, being able to have other psychologists around you who um, you can even just kind of go up to and say, I had a really like rough session. Can you come for a walk with me and get a coffee or something? You know, even just being able to have that support in that sense, even if it's not direct supervision, can be incredibly important. Um, really provides you with that break too. Yeah, peers are essential. Like oh. it took me a while to find my peers. Um, But now I feel really comfortable. I've got a really good community of neurodivergent clinicians and I've got a really good community of psychologists who are focused on the sexology space, um, which I really like. And so like, you know, queer and sex like affirming, um, which I find that they just share my values in other areas as well. And so really safe communities. I love hearing that. Yeah. What what peers like, do you have spaces that you found that like, you're like, no, this is my, this is my tribe of like peers? Yes, I think I have two tribes. I have one tribe that is really dedicated to emotional processing and that the immediate message is take a seat and tell me where in the body you're feeling what happened, you know, or or what was said. And then I have this other group of peers who are like, let's go for a walk. Let's walk this out. 
come on, let's burn this energy. Like, <laughs> I really appreciate that too. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. And for any, for any listeners who are thinking like, oh, you know, I'm feeling quite isolated and, and I would like to have some peers, don't be afraid to reach out. Like Facebook groups is a way to do it. Your workplace, um, joining groups that share similar interests, you'll probably find uh, peers who, who share similar values and also want it. Because remember, all of us need the peer consultation. So like, you know, we all need to connect with each other. Yes, agreed. Yeah. Cool. Let's go to continuing education and training and how that helps you process sessions. Do you find that it does? I would say yes in regards to, so I'm thinking for me specifically and I'm thinking in the areas of trauma, right? Yes. So I think if I'm going to professional development sessions, seminars, etc., that are trauma related, it does help me to, I guess, kind of take a compassionate trauma-focused care lens of like, okay, this person has just said this. I can understand that within the basis of PTSD or I can understand that within the lens of this particular model. And it helps me to kind of externalize it in that sense. I think also in building uh, a compassion, especially in perhaps areas where we don't have that firsthand experience and trying to understand, build that empathy, build that compassion for that client, being able to engage in continued professional development enables me to understand, oh, or have that response, sorry, of, oh, this is what they could be experiencing. No wonder they're having this reaction. Oh my God. Okay. Now it makes sense to me. That's what I think. What do you think? Oh, um, that last part, like, yeah, I feel like that's the most beneficial part of continuing education. So it's not doing like specific modalities. It's actually when I do my own personal research, like say a client comes to me and they're from a, a culture that is different to my own. I might not be able to understand their experience very well or as much as I might like. And so things that they share with me might leave me feeling confused or different sorts of emotions. And I find that through my own investigation of, say, that culture, I can have a greater understanding. So then I can contextualize the information that they give me. Of course, like recognizing they're an individual, um, but I find that that helps me process sessions. I really like that, especially if you think about like core competencies. Yes. Right? And uh, being competent within the area of culture. Yes. Being able to understand that, oh, I'm having this response and I'm thinking, oh, God, hmm, what happened to you was a lot worse than what you're telling me it is. What's that about? Having that cultural competence or that cultural lens really can help us to identify, okay, how do I want to respond? But also how do I want to process this for me? Because my culture says that was really bad. Yes. This person's culture is telling me, oh, that's, that's actually pretty normal. Yeah. So it comes to that aspect of processing, which is like the assimilation and integration of new information into like your existing beliefs. So how can, how can I understand this? And, and that's what I find continuing education really helpful for. And sometimes as well, I just want to speak to this, but sometimes I have, I have had clients in the past that have been part of traumatic events that have made the news either like recently or in the past and understanding the event so that then they don't have and processing that in my own time so then they don't have to give me all the nitty-gritty details before they're ready um, I find has been quite helpful as well because then I can take it at my pace when I want to digest that information um, and I know therapists might have different perspectives on this. And so they might say, no, you just want to know about the situation from the client and their perspective. And I agree with that. But I think for these these big, like big T traumas that have been quite media uh, present, I guess just my personal coping has been to find out a little bit more about the event. So then I might know what's a no-go zone or what's to go and processing my own human reactions to that event as well so I can keep it separate from the client's um, perspective in a way. That prompted a thought for me of um, I also use like mindfulness and I guess I'm hearing mindfulness in there as well, being able to identify this is my response, this is my reaction, how can I separate that from the client's? How how do I not necessarily bring that into session and go, oh my yeah. God, what? And 
you know, being able to just be mindful, stay present to our own experience. I like yeah. that. Yeah, you were really capturing that there. Yeah, and I'm so glad that you brought that up because that is actually a really key strategy I use to help me process sessions. So something that I often repeat to myself is like, I've got my stuff, they've got their stuff. My stuff is not their stuff. And that helps me, it's just a shorthand to help me stay a bit separate from my clients um, because otherwise if I become enmeshed, then I feel like I stop becoming a helpful, as helpful a therapist. And it's, it's such a fine line because it's like how we're talking about in a previous episode, like you need to have that empathy. You need to be able to feel with a client. But I guess it's, it's through practice knowing what that line is for yourself. Completely. Even I'm thinking about for myself, I need something a bit more kind of tangible and physical. Yeah. And so I tend to just go uh, into my office and I shake my entire body. Oh, I love that. Right, kind of shake it around. Like, you know those inflatable people that like heart yeah. fail? Yeah, you know, they... yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I will kind of do that and say to myself, like, shake it off. This is not for me. It's not my yes. story. Shake it off. Get rid of it. Time to go. In doing so, it allows you to stay present and also, I think, help manage your emotions for the next session. Totally. And yeah. I tend to think, like, I don't want to bring what person one has said into person two session that's their session i need to leave that at the door so time to shake it off it's time for it to go uh, i might i'm gonna steal that i might copy Ooh. that because yeah i feel like i feel like that's something i need to improve upon because it's like sometimes i just have a bit of a stretch but i actually feel like the wacky waving like inflatable could be a good motion and, and listeners we are both like waving our arms for this <laughs> if only they could see me look so funny yeah <laughs> <laughs> it, it's really cool though I really like it <laughs> yeah right it's, it's just that physical participating form of mindfulness right yeah really getting the entire body and spirit into it I feel like also in being physical it it stops me from avoiding yes so sometimes and I don't know if this is like this for you or any of the listeners sometimes when I'm doing mindfulness or other reflective practices and it's not participation based and it you know might just be like observing thoughts or observing my breath i somehow get to a point where i convince myself that it's okay to think about it right here right now and it might be if you have the time for that i'll please do that reflective mindful practice and if we have a meeting or another session to go into something we might have to actually kind of put a pause in it and say to ourselves, I'll come back to this later, but for right now, I need to shake this off. This has to go. And yes. so yeah, doing that physical component of mindfulness allows me to really shake it off or leave it at the door. I love that. No, that's that sounds amazing. Thank you, Matthew. I think from this, I wanted to jump into journaling, journaling, if that's okay. Please. Um, I, I've never been good at writing down my thoughts. I think as like an ADHD, I've always needed to move plus think. So I'm either walking and thinking, cycling and thinking, running and thinking. And that's how I process things. When I used to be part of my very nerdy speech, speech giving club, which was Toastmasters. Oh my God, I'm such a nerd. <laughs> but which I attended yeah. weekly for years. Yeah. Um, and what I used to do is write speeches in my head when I'm like running, cycling or walking. And I still actually do that, but not with the intention to give the speech, but I actually find it helpful to write speeches in my head because then I'm externalizing it rather than going into that negative place of rumination. It's a, it's a bit of a strange process, but I found that it, it really helps me. So I imagine that I'm talking to someone else about this, but in my own head. I like that a lot. Yeah, so like just, I guess I will, I wanted to share that just in case anybody thinks that they have to do the writing. I've tried doing writing and I'm, and I'm going to give it a go again. But for me, I've found that thinking in my head in an externalizing way while I'm moving has been most effective for me. I completely agree with you. Yeah, thank you. Um, when I think of journaling, I too can't write it down. I know I mentioned journaling before, but I too can't write it. I need to process it as I'm walking around a lake. So I get it. I totally get it, right? For me, the journaling and reflective practice is being able to tune into my own triggers. So I tend to think like in um, you know, trauma work, we're teaching clients to tune into their own triggers. We can do the same. 
how do I know that a session has really impacted me if I'm not able to be reflective and think, okay, hang on, where is my heart rate? Or usually I want to avoid, oh, I'm noticing that tendency. Okay, that actually, okay, I might have had a really rough session today then. So again, that journaling or reflective practice, whether you, um, you write it down or it's something physical, something creative, I find it also enables me to really tune into my responses to session and that enables me to then be reflective of it. Oh, amazing. I love how you've just integrated everything there. That's wonderful that you can tune into your own body and then you can bring that back to the session, helps you learn more and it helps you process. Amazing. A plus. <laughs> well, I, I will say in my own defense or in everybody else's defense or something that that's essentially years of my supervisor saying, you know, my, practicing mindfulness would be really helpful for you, Matt. Plus saying, I actually need to go to therapy. Yeah, that's what that's the combination of. <laughs> Wonderful. Whatever, whatever gets us there. Sometimes we do need to hear things repeatedly, like psychologists included, before it really hits home. So let's move on to that then, the personal therapy. I feel like this is really important. And listeners, we've done an episode all about therapists and therapy, which was an early episode. But I think it's important to talk about it again, about how it can be helpful for us to processing what we do in work. So I wonder, like, Matt, if you feel comfortable, like, is this something that you've done to help you process what's shown up in your work? I'm completely comfortable because I believe that we need to destigmatize therapy for therapists. So yes, 100% comfortable here. I have, especially within the context of being a queer person and being bullied, really needed to seek therapy for that. I noticed in working with queer people that came up a lot in sessions and the way that that looked like was being kind of overprotective, right? So there was some counter-transference coming through. And could I bring that to supervision? Yes, and yes, I did. I still do bring it to supervision. And it is important, and I know any supervisors who are listening will, will probably pick up on this, it's definitely important to have the separate spaces that supervision isn't therapy. Supervision is that space for us, yes, within the context of clients, whereas therapy is for you, right? I mean, like yes. how, how scary, right, to have a space for you. Yeah. But there is a space there for you to be able to say, this session I had brought this up for me and I'm not feeling good, I'm not feeling safe, um, help me. I'm so glad that you've been able to find a safe space in therapy to unpack those experiences because I very much see supervision as like you would recognize that this is where it's coming from and then therapy would be the place to explore the feelings and how that affects you and what that experience was or experiences were like for you. Completely and even just being able to be a bit more honest like I know within my own individual therapy I was able to be very honest with my individual therapist and some of those feelings and thoughts I don't know if I would say them to my supervisor, not because I would be invalidated or anything, but just because that's my feeling. And I don't know, I, I want to keep this professional relationship. I totally feel you, Matthew. Like I feel like in supervision, I've still got professional me on, whereas in my own personal therapy, I can be a real brat. And like, <laughs> I can just, I'm just going to say, I can just be a real shithead. And like, I'll say to my therapist, I'm avoiding this. Woo! <laughs> and like I just let like my brat in a child out and I feel like I can do that in therapy but not definitely not in supervision <laughs> <laughs> same I feel like I kind of go into a space going so can I please have 10 minutes to just whine and complain Beautiful. totally go. <laughs> 100% yeah yeah I just want to whine and complain today um how's that go for you it's my my session okay great <laughs> we're doing it yay I also uh, love therapy for therapists. I agree that we should destigmatize it. It's a it's a great space, non judgmental space where we can be held. And I just want to say as well, like if you're concerned about your therapist judging you, um, just remember how universal our experiences are. You are not alone in whatever you're experiencing. You would not be the only psychologist who is experiencing what you have felt. So I think that that kind of ties up our discussion on personal therapy for therapists. Are there any other strategies that we haven't talked about that you use to process sessions, which you might want to tell your listeners about? 
I would also add in acceptance. So what I mean by that is accepting that difficult sessions or hearing things, seeing things, having a client disclose a piece of information or experience to you that's really difficult or uncomfortable to sit with or is triggering for you is a normal part of the process of being a psychologist. And so that's what I mean around acceptance, accepting that this is a part of therapy, this is a part of my profession. How can I sit with this? How can I form a relationship with this uncomfortableness um, around distress and disclosure? Uh, mm. So I would say also just having a think about how can I practice accepting that this is coming up in session and my responses to that as well. Beautifully said, and I really agree from the perspective of we as psychologists, we are the ones who, we are the tool for the work essentially. If we are unwell or not processing sessions well, then we might be affecting our ability to deliver therapy well or, or do our jobs in a way that we would hope to be able to do them. And so it's so integral to take care of ourselves and process these sessions. So the acceptance around that as well, that we really do need to take care of ourselves. It's not optional. No. And even just feeding off of what you're speaking about there, that we can provide compassion to clients and I hope I don't shock anybody when I say this, but we can also provide compassion to ourselves. No! <laughs> Sorry, Bron. <laughs> so I accept what you are okay. saying to me. <laughs> I appreciate that you're accepting. Thank you. <laughs> but that we can be compassionate to ourselves. Sometimes um, I will have a session where it's really rough and I'm taking stuff on. And afterwards I have to sit down and say, I'm taking stuff on. I don't like that and it's what my brain and body is doing at this moment. It's okay. Don't push yourself to like, you know, be that best therapist who lets everything go and nothing affects them. It's okay that it's affecting you. You have ways around this. It's okay. Be compassionate to yourself. And with that, Matthew, is it all right if we wrap up there? Yes. I thought that was a lovely ending. So, Matthew, if listeners want to learn more about you or get in touch, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at, at Matilda Mercury Queen. Please listen to previous episodes for that to make sense. Yes, awesome. And I'll pop those links in the show notes. And listeners, thank you so much for listening. If you're loving the show and you don't want to miss an episode, press follow on your podcast listening app. And we also have a Patreon, so you can join the Patreon for $2 a month. And it really helps to keep the podcast alive. So podcasting ain't free. Um, it does cost and all funds go back into keeping the podcast alive. So if you want to join up, it would be really helpful. And thank you so much to the Patreons who are already part of it. I'm really grateful for you. And listeners, again, thank you so much for listening. That's a wrap. Have a good one and catch you next time.